Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Emily. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time to go a little deeper into what we talked about on Monday, which was hidden trader games. We've given you the basic structure, the basic appeal. Now we're going to start getting into the nuts and bolts of it, individual games in this genre, and how they work and why they're fun. Probably, we, we did mention Mafia, otherwise known as Werewolf, in episode one. Emily, can you bring us up to date on that for those who have sadly been deprived enough in their childhoods not to have been exposed to this particular delight? <laughs> so a lot of us have actually played a hidden trader game before having ever played an actual hidden trader game. A lot of people I know that have ever gone to summer camp or a lot of like after-school programs have played a variation of a game called either Werewolf or Mafia. And it goes like this. You get all of your children corralled and you sit them in a circle on the floor and you have everyone close their eyes, and you go around the circle and you tap one, two, three, four, five people on the head, depending how many people are playing. It's about a quarter of them usually, right? Yeah, like maybe a little less. Yeah. I think like probably like up to ten people you'd want two, and then yeah. something like that. Um, and then those people are, are your designated bad guys. They're the werewolves, they're the mafiosos, whatever. And how gameplay works is that you have to have somebody moderating this, especially with children. Uh, there's a person kind of like standing around directing people to open and close their eyes is appropriate everyone closes their eyes werewolves open their eyes they point in silence at somebody that they've agreed to murder over the course of the night <laughs> everyone eyes closed everyone eyes open the moderator spins this you know this tale about yes and the butcher was walking home from butchering things at his butcher shop and he stumbled on something in the way on the sidewalk and lo and behold it was the body of billy you know shamefully strangled in the middle of the night and clawed open from you know the belly button upwards uh and then billy is out of the game and the rest of the people have to vote on somebody that they want to see you know hanged or exiled depending on your preference towards violence uh that they think is the werewolf um if you've successfully found a werewolf Good job. You want to go on until you find them all. Uh, and if you failed, then you've just exiled or murdered an innocent villager, and you're one step closer to all being eaten alive. You know, listening to you talking about all of this wonderful embellishment that the moderator can bring to the game really sort of kind of brings it home that the person who is the moderator in a game of Mafia or a game of Werewolf has a huge responsibility, even though they're not playing. Oh, yeah. Makes or breaks it. Absolutely. Because their descriptions of how people get murdered or uh, the way that they set up the atmosphere, it's like everybody closes their eyes and it's a peaceful, quiet night and you can hear the crickets chirping. And meanwhile, three of you are secretly conspired. It's that, all that stuff. That's not even in the rules. But it's the kind of thing that can absolutely make one of these games unforgettable. Yeah, it's what turns it into a bunch of kids sitting around pointing at each other with their eyes closed to an actual game, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, something that really sort of immerses you in this scary world where you could get eaten in the middle of the night. Or where you're all in the mafia and you're trying to figure who the rat is who keeps ratting people out mm -hmm. one at a time every night. But um, Oh, you played it like that. See, I always played it as you're the mafia putting hits on people ah I, we, we always had it so that uh, everybody's in the mafia and one of you is an undercover police oh. officer and, ev and every night the the undercover cops pick somebody to rat out and the police disappear that makes them. way more and sense then, uh, and then and then during during the day the mafia decide who to whack because they figure well it's one of these this this, this is obviously an inside somebody. job it's got to be one of us 
So um, Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> yeah, this, Mafia is such a simple game, where, or, or Werewolf, if you prefer, is, uh, is, is such a simple game and requires almost no components. All you need is a person who's got lots of imagination is willing to be that moderator role. But um, because of the fact that it was so simple, it wasn't really something that was considered as really part of the board game hobby until the publication of Shadows Over Camelot in 2005, which introduced the glory of hidden traitors to the previously relatively dry world of putting little plastic and wooden and metal things on game boards. Yes, introduced the concept of lying and cheating and being a jerk to your friends to the trusting masses. <laughs> so Bruno Cathala and Serge Lager uh, were two designers who did this, and they, they unleashed something quite horrifying upon the world. What we had... <laughs> was uh, a, 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 a you look at it on the surface and it seems like a fairly complex challenging game where you've got uh, ca- the ca- castle Camelot surrounded by invaders you've got Saxons and Picts invading from different directions you've got the Black Knight blustering in a tournament you've got Excalibur sinking into the mists of Avalon and the Holy Grail disappearing off on one side you've got Fancy. Sir Lancelot who's brooding out in the woods someplace who eventually gets replaced by a dragon that comes and attacks Camelot. I imagine Sir Lancelot much like Jon Snow in this instance. He kind of is, except he's even more useless. Um, he's not so bad. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. But um, anyway, he uh, he clearly knows more than Jon Snow. <laughs> that, that much I will say. Um, he also has a wicked suit, which you want. But here's the point. The point is there are all these bad things happening and the Knights of Camelot have to band together to defeat these threats and save the kingdom. But every time you play the game, there is a slight chance, maybe more than a slight chance, depending on how many people are in the game, that Morgan Le Fay has managed to sway one of the knights over to her side secretly, and that that knight is actually attempting to cause the quest to fail and Camelot to fall to the forces of Mordred. And once again, you hear about this and immediately everybody at the table says, ooh, I want to be the traitor. And, well, here's the thing. There might not actually be a traitor. The more players there are in this game, the greater the chance that there will be one. But there might actually not be one. It might be that everybody's on the same side, but nobody has any way of knowing whether or not there is one, which means the suspicion that's created by the possibility that there might be a traitor can be just as lethal as the real thing. Yeah, the stress is there regardless of whether or not the traitor is. You know, you're constantly questioning the other player's choices. It's a wonderful solution to the alpha player problem, which is a big issue in a lot of cooperative games. That problem where one player sort of takes control and tells everybody else what the correct thing to do is. If somebody, somebody's doing that, you have every reason to suspect that they're actually a traitor. Yeah, and you can call them out on it really loudly and really mm-hmm. dramatically. You can even accuse them of, of treachery and actually force them to show their card. And if you find them out, they have to recede into the shadows and play the rest of the game as a traitor, separate from everybody else. However, if the traitor manages to go undetected through the entire game, they can turn victory for the knights into defeat. And that also is something that's quite wonderful. As the traitor in Shadows Over Camelot, if you can just do a little bit of sabotage here and there, other than that, you can be an absolute angel and still come out twirling your mustache with victory. It's, it's, it's definitely a longer and more challenging game than, uh, than Mafia by a long shot, but it introduced this idea of a game with a hidden traitor into the hobby of board games, and it wasn't long before that started to take center stage in games with little titles like, ooh, The Resistance, which is only one of the most popular games ever to show up at Snakes and Lattes. Absolutely. So The Resistance came out nearly nearly five years after Shadows Over Camelot did, but I would definitely call The Resistance like 
the introductory hidden traitor game. It certainly started that as a genre. I mean, yeah. Before the Resistance, that wasn't really a genre. After it, absolutely was. Yeah, like Shadows Over Camelot may have come first, but mm-hmm. Resistance is what everybody picks up first. If you, you have a friend that's never played a hidden traitor game before but wants to get mean, that's the box that you throw at them. <laughs> Why is that, Emily? Uh, well, it even says that it's like inspired by Mafia and Werewolf like mm-hmm. on its Board Game Geek page, which I just conveniently looked at to find out the year <laughs> it was published in. Um, but so, so Resistance goes like this. Um, it takes place in the sort of like the near distant future with like, you know, a totalitarian government not yeah, from like Hunger the games. one yeah like yeah like close to the hunger games it actually though it does have a um a knights of the round table reskin called avalon so if you want oh that's right yeah, yeah so if you want to kind of like touch on the shadows over camelot ish stuff um avalon's pretty good too so yeah so near distant future uh we are members you know of the ragtag group of rebels we've all got great hair and lofty aspirations <laughs> and we're going on these missions to try to take down the government, sort of like from within. These missions are never really like specified, they're more abstract. Um, but within our ranks, there are spies sent by the government to ruin everything. <laughs> and gameplay is incredibly simple. You've got a, a number of spies that changes based on the number of characters you have, and then you go on missions. And there are five missions one, two, three, four, five, and the amount of people that go on the mission changes, again, based on how many people you're playing with. There is a a leader that says, I think those three people are trustworthy. And then everybody at the table gets to go, no! (laughs) Or yes, they're totally trustworthy. We should absolutely send them in. I think David looks shifty as hell. (laughs) Or I don't trust Jamie because she was on the first mission and that one failed. And then you argue for as long as you can handle it. (laughs) And then you either you vote and either majority agrees to send this group on a mission or majority agrees to keep them home. So once you've successfully chosen a team, um, each player in that team gets two cards, a success card and a fail card, and they get to choose one and play it anonymously. Um, If you're a good guy, you'll only play your success cards because you're really, truly in it to succeed. Uh, But if you're a bad guy, if you're a spy, you can play one or the other because, you know, tactically... It might make sense to, you know, make them think that you're one of them and get them in their your good books and so on and so forth. And then, you know, you shuffle them up and you reveal them dramatically one at a time. And if there's even one fail card, that's a point for the bad guys. I love that about the resistance. Just takes one. All it takes is one saboteur one. to ruin the Just entire takes mission. Just one. Uh, and you do that until one team has three points. And then you reveal your identities and you all scream at each other. <laughs> and you say, I knew it. I told you he was looking shifty. David, how could you? So on and so forth. And the whole thing only takes about 20 minutes. Yeah, like once you've learned to play the game, a, g- a game even with, you know, seven or eight or nine people will, won't take you more than 25. Mm-hmm. You know, and even to learn, like that was basically it. You might want to know, like, what are all these superfluous tokens for? But once you crack open the box, you can be ready and playing in 10 minutes and be on around two or 30 minutes later. And obviously it helps if you have one person at the table who who knows the game well, or if you're at a board game cafe and have a game guru who can teach it to you, just saying. But um, yeah, even if you you have to learn it from watching a YouTube video or something, it's a really accessible game. Mm -hmm. And it's brought this to a much wider audience. And uh, on Friday, we're going to go into some more detail about some of the bizarre and interesting paths that this genre of game has taken since the Resistance made it into a thing. See you Friday.